Blog Talk Radio. And thank you for joining us on uh, Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that kind of tackles some of the topics that don't get much coverage in the uh, national media. And we particularly focus on uh, violence, interpersonal violence, and uh, uh, issues that impact um, people from a gender standpoint. And we just cover all that we want to cover. And I'm Heather Stark, your host, and I have with me today a very interesting um, gentleman. And uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Hi. <laughs> uh, Brian mm-hmm. actually works for an organization called Futures Without Violence. And um, I've I think that you should be familiar with Futures Without Violence. If you have any interest in uh, dealing with domestic violence issues or anything uh, pertaining at all to interpersonal violence, Futures Without Violence is a great uh, website to go to. Um, Brian O'Connor, you are the Director of Public Education Campaigns and Programs, big title, but basically what you do is you're working with uh, men, and you want to uh, work with them to model positive masculinity and to teach boys that violence never equals strength. Did I introduce you correctly, Brian? That's absolutely right, especially appropriate for this conversation. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, What we're going to talk about today is something I admittedly do not have a huge background in, but hopefully I will be able to uh, hold my own with you, Brian, when we come to talking about some of these issues. What we're talking about is violence with sports figures. Everybody has been hearing for the last two or three weeks about, um, what's his name, Ray Rice, Ray Rice from the NFL, uh, apparently knocked his fiancée unconscious and dragged her out of an elevator in a casino. And it got lots of publicity, and he ended up getting suspended for two weeks from games. So he's not playing for two weeks, plus I think he has to pay a fine. And most people were kind of outraged by that. I mean, this this is documented. He, um, you know, he, he has not... Um, made any big waves about his his uh, sentencing or his went from the NFL. Hello. 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 Hello? Hello? Brian, are you still there? Brian, are you there? Hi, we lost our feed for a couple of minutes there. I apologize for that. 
Yeah, it never happened to me before, so that's a new experience. Okay, let's see if we can jump back, and I apologize to our listeners out there. Um, we were talking about, uh, in particular, Ray Rice and his recent, the recent publicity about his two-game suspension for uh, committing uh, uh, vi- violence against his uh, fiancée, I guess it was. And, um, Brian, you were going to talk about whether this was a unique situation or whether this has happened a lot. Sure. You know, I mean, unfortunately, um, well, we know the NFL has a, has a problem. I mean, they certainly have disproportionate um, amounts of, you know, kind of domestic violence uh, in their midst, if you will. Or, frankly, I want to say that there was a University of um, San Diego study that reported 21 of the 32 teams in the NFL employ a player that has a domestic violence charge. And charge so, or conviction? A charge. Okay. A charge. So, you know, and that's also what's tricky, too, about the, you know, when you talk about conviction, are people also about, like, you know, frankly, a lot of folks that I've talked to were very, very curious as to, well, why hasn't he been arrested? Right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because we can absolutely, the NFL needs and needed to act. And they have, you know, their own requirements and expectations within the league itself. And we can also talk Mm -hmm. about kind of just the social aspect of that and, and, and what that kind of message of a two-game suspension has done and sends to not only just the public at large, but also sends to, sends to our kids, right? Sends to yes, young people absolutely. who, right, young people who play football, Pop Warner, and also to most of, all, most of all, young people who look up to all of these guys. And so there's, there's absolutely. They're role models. Whether they like it or not, they are role models for young people. Absolutely right. Absolutely so, right. You know? Yeah. And they're young. Well, I did my yeah exactly, and I did my research here, and I was kind of shocked. I mean, I knew it happened a lot, but uh, uh, I, it happens in baseball, it happens in the NFL, it happens just about everywhere. Um, right. I was looking at some names. Uh, one of the names that I saw was from Oklahoma, an Oklahoma Sooner, Frank Shannon. Um, he was actually suspended for the entire season for charges of um, sexual assault, um, but at the same time, Oklahoma brought on uh, Dorian, Doriel Green Beckham, who's been suspended from Missouri for a number of incidents, including um, allegedly pushing a woman down a flight of stairs. Well, Oklahoma mm. snapped him up, and now they're appealing to the uh, NCAA to get a waiver from that punishment so that he can play for Oklahoma. Um, in baseball, there's Chuck Knobloch. Knobloch, am I saying that right? Um, mm-hmm. AL, he was the AL Rookie of the Year, and uh, right before they were ready to put him in their uh, World Champion Team Hall of Fame in August, he was arrested for domestic violence. Um, Tampa Bay Rays got a, a sex offender, convicted sex offender on their team. Um, Baseball Bobby Cox allegedly berated and punched his wife in what the police report says, a continuing pattern of domestic violence. Kirby Puckett allegedly strangled his wife with a phone cord and was charged with sexually assaulting a waitress in a restaurant bathroom. Brett Myers mm-hmm. disciplined, uh, or was disciplined 
just a, a tap on the hands when he beat his wife in front of some witnesses. And, uh, you know, it, it goes on and on. Daryl Strawberry, Joe mm-hmm. Canseco, or Jose Canseco, Albert Bell, um, these football <clears throat> players, on and on and on. So why so many? Well, first of all, is this an extraordinary number of, of uh, allegations of domestic violence, an extraordinary number of men who have engaged or allegedly engaged in domestic violence, or is this in keeping with the general population, you think? You know, I do think something's happening with professional sports, for sure. At the same time, okay. you know, and I actually fashion it, um, or I liken it to, the, to, to, to what, frankly, what goes down in the military. You know, there is a very unique environment that's just, that professional sports creates um, as far as the um, spotlight that is on a lot of these men. The culture itself, too, is this kind of untouchable culture. We, um, we deify, right? We really, we really hold a lot of these guys up. On, on a very, very high pedestal that, frankly, a lot of people feel like they can do whatever they want. Um, yeah. You know, I do think that there is absolutely an issue and a problem that goes down in professional sports. And I think that when kind of you have a Ray Rice situation with two, a two-game suspension, I think it just perpetuates the idea and the feeling that you can do no wrong, right? You can do whatever yeah. you want. And that's the kind of message it sends. At the same time, you know, professional sports don't create violence against women, okay? Unfortunately, that is a reality right now. And, I mean, that's, that's, that is a reality. There are social norms that perpetuate that in our culture. And, and what, what the uh, kind of recipe or cocktail that, prof- that professional sports creates amplifies what actually already exists in the general population just around kind of we know that nearly one in four women in the United States will experience violence by, you know, her, 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 her current or former uh, spouse or boyfriend at some point in her life. And that kind of, that is one out of four. And some, some, some research shows it being one as, as many as one out of three. And then what yeah. professional sports does is really amplifies that and exacerbates kind of conditions that really can, can uh, set, the, set, the, set the stage for, for why violence against women and girls occurs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that you're absolutely right. Um, in the past, you know, well, I, I've read some arguments that, well, what does it matter to these major league um, um, organizations? This is criminal behavior. Let the police take care of criminal behavior. The purpose of the uh, MLB or the NFL is to play their sport and make money. So why should they take on the responsibility of punishing um, these folks at all? Sure. I mean, well, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's an argument. It's an argument. You know, it's it's a great point. Um, and I've heard it before, and at the same time, I think what what, what that point though does um, kind of forget is that you're absolutely right. The reason why the major league, major league baseball, the NH, NHL, NFL, etc., why they care is because they are trying to make money. 
And they, they have a huge brand, right? And brands are supported by sponsors, huge corporate entities. They're supported by millions and millions of dollars being funneled in because the brand itself is, is a, an incredibly valuable um, thing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about making money, it's, it goes beyond just ticket sales and merchandise. Right? It really is the most, one of the most valuable um, kind of uh, pieces of the entire NFL as a league and also all of the independent teams in their franchises that each one of those is a huge brand. And I think, unfortunately, what we, sh- what we saw is that with such a small um, – and, again, I think it's – you know, we talked a little bit about this before, Heather, right, where it's a, it's a bit of a rabbit hole to go down – should it have been, oh, wow, only two games suspend, suspension for Ray Rice? Because would, would 10 games have been enough? Would 20 games have been enough? And suspending him altogether from this league overall, would that have been enough? I think, you know, that's where it really gets really tricky to say, oh, you know, I, no one thinks that two game, a two-game suspension, and, you know, obviously there were some financial implications in that, too, around what he's lost because, I think, you know, suspended without pay, and you're talking about a lot of money here. Nobody thinks that that was um, adequate, if you will, but I do think it's tricky to go and start talking about what would have been. And that's not actually, you know, at Futures of Violence, that's not our job to figure out what should, be, what should have been the response. However, comparatively to what there are other infractions, if you will, that the NFL cares about because those tarnish that overall brand. And when they say two, a two-game suspension, that says to me that they don't actually think that the public who is supporting and contributing to the brand thinks is going to care. They're, they don't think that actually a domestic violence assault by Ray Rice is actually really that damaging to their brand. I mean, that's actually what, that's the message in some ways it's sending. Yes, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, You know, you were asking about, you know, what is enough. And knowing how infrequently people are actually convicted of domestic violence. Um, You know, if, if, if you think about it like a traffic ticket, how many times do you speed and how many tickets have you gotten? You've been speeding a heck of a lot more times than you've actually been stopped and gotten a ticket, right? And this happens with, you know, breaking the law as well. Um, So many, many times people are never arrested for doing things like, you know, domestic violence. So understanding that and then getting a conviction is even harder. So your convictions are actually a little tiny piece of the, the people who have committed domestic violence. So knowing that... To me, I would say if you've had a if you have a player who's been convicted of domestic violence, he's off, he's out, he's done with his this career. Um, uh-huh. That would be fair to me. Um, but with these allegations, um, and in in this case with Ray Rice, my understanding is he did plead not guilty, and he made a plea deal. And a plea deal usually means either they lower the charge to get you to agree to it or um, they, they put you on a, a pending thing. So they'll give you a sentence, and then they'll say, but in the next year, if you go to anchor management classes or if you take you know, some sort of training that we offer you, then it'll just fall off your record. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot. And it's my understanding that that is what uh, Ray Rice 
ended up getting in court. Um, so I don't know. I, it seems to me that, yeah, they ought to take it seriously. Um, but at what point do they cross over into, you know, uh-huh. somehow or other creating a sentence? Um, yeah, no. It's a really good question because and it, it's not an either-or, right? I mean, again, yeah. I think that if there were very senior executives at uh, at Google, you know, who are mm. incredibly – they're incredibly public people, um, you know, I, I don't work there and I don't know the, in, the intricacies of their kind of um, hiring contracts, if you will, but, you know – you are a representative of the organization that you work for and that you kind of, uh, you know, if, if, again, if you're a public person, you go out and you're kind of speaking on behalf of that organization, you're representing them. Um, that's really what we're talking about here. I think you're bringing up a really good point as well. And like I said, it's not an either or. There are consequences too from a professional standpoint on one side and then there are also kind of consequences on the other hand around from a law enforcement standpoint my understanding around this particular issue is that one the video came out and i want to say tmz um kind of made it public several months after the incident that also right so that complicates things a little bit frankly you know heather i was curious i was like who was sitting on this video? I mean, it looks like it was um, yes. kind of a, right? It looks like, you know, you can, you can see what's happening. You know, he is, she's unconscious, she's on the floor, he's kind of dragging her in or out of the elevator. Anyhow, um, what happens is... And there are people around? I mean, this isn't, he wasn't doing this privately. There are people around? I didn't see any other anybody else in the video, but it is, it is Las Vegas, oh. and apparently, apparently it was at night. Okay. So I didn't. Okay. Nobody else okay. was in the video, but it, but it's literally like a. Um, and again, you know, I think I think we should. I do think talking about the Ray Rice situation is useful, um, as to be though that unfortunately this has happened in the past, and it's unfortunately too. I think we're all in, uh, not under any illusion that it's going to ha- probably happen again. And yeah. um, so, you know, yes, we, I, I, you know, it's illustrative of, of a larger issue, and you, you mentioned that, too, at the beginning of the show. So I, I just want to say, like, I think talking about the Ray Rice situation as a teachable moment, for sure, mm-hmm. is very useful. And at the same time, you know, once you get into the details of this particular situation, they are different, right? And a lot of the yeah. situations are different. But um, at the same time, you know, there is, it's, it's a very important point that this was not a situation where something went down and, you know, say his fiance at the time, now his wife, called the police while it was going on or something happened and she called 911, for example, and said, get over here, you know, I'm getting assaulted. That didn't happen. This is a video that came out several months after apparently it happened. Mm-hmm. And then he was identified. And hmm. those kind of situations are actually really difficult because then it gets into this whole thing. It's not a matter of whether or not she wanted to, quote, unquote, press charges. And I think that that's also a little bit of a misunderstanding from a public yes. You know, it's not a matter of, mis- of pressing charges. But now that they're married, you also can't make your spouse testify against you. It's really up to the mm-hmm. district attorney whether or not he's going to charge. But 
without her testimony, he might actually not even have a case, or she might not even have a case, right? So, yeah, you know, again, well, those legal our, complexities. Yeah, those legal complexities uh, everyone faces, not just the athletes. Um, but and that uh-huh. brings up another question. You know, there are allegations, and some allegations are not true. Although the studies show that um, when it comes to domestic violence, about well, less than I think it's less than three percent uh, people lie, and it's the same for men and women. You know, so you, you've got uh, you know people are going to lie but it's a remarkably low rate of lying when it comes to these cases for either men or women. Um, so keep that in mind, because I think a lot of times people will automatically assume, well, she's lying, you know, that's all, she's lying. Um, and I read some of the comments, you know, posted on, on uh, blogs, mm. et cetera, and there was a lot of that. Well, it's just he said, she said, he said, she said, and it happens all the time this way, and why, why should the uh, NFL be punishing somebody when it's not for sure that it happened? You know, like she's just crying rape or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we get a lot of that. And um, it, it, so we're basically looking at situations where um, some people are not willing to take this behavior seriously. And it sounds from what you're saying that you believe that the NFL tends to not take it seriously or as seriously as as the public seems to think it should um, because of that brand. They don't want, they don't see it as tarnishing their brand. They don't see it as tarnishing their brand. And I have to say, unfortunately, um, we've been tracking it and they, you know, money talks, and I think that's what, you know, some the previous comment you were talking about is about. And we have not really seen any sponsors walking from the NFL, if you will, because of yeah. their response to Ray Rice, right? So, you know, maybe it was just one too small of an incident, if you will, but, like, again, this has happened over and over. Yeah, yeah. So is there something about sports figures that makes them prone to this kind of violence. Let me, real quick, before I give you a chance to answer that, Brian, I want to throw out our phone number in case you'd like to join our conversation. The phone number is 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. If you'd like to call uh, call in and and express your, or maybe you have a situation that happened to you, um, or you have just an opinion on this topic, we'd love to hear from you. So is it those particular athletes? Um, one time, I, the reason I ask that is because um, a lot of times people will say, well, there's more uh, violence, uh, you know, non-battlefield violence among the military because you are training these people to be aggressive. You're training these people. Um, you know, you want people in that field who are rough and tumble and ready to go. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I have heard that. Is that kind of the thinking with the these athletes? You you go for people who might have more of a predisposition to violence in their personal lives? Yeah, no, I I don't like to go there actually, and I don't I wouldn't say that athletes are particularly say quote unquote more prone. I mean, there are many many athletes who and many men who we actually work with, particularly for a program that we um, have called Coaching Boys into Men. 
where we work with many, many athletes, coaches, professional college and all the high school and middle school level, um, uh, people who do the right thing, right, people who understand their role to not only just being role models to young people, but also to role models to their peers, particularly, too, in a lot of settings. Sports is a huge, huge, it's, it's a cultural um, uh, you know, it, it's one of the, it's a cultural, uh, it's, it's a huge foundation, right, of so much of our entertainment. And there are so many people who actually don't say, you know, who don't beat their wives or their girlfriends or, or, or violence overall. And so I yeah. think it's, um, you know, a mistake to, and I'm not saying you said that, but I, I, I do, I don't want to go down that road. I, I, you know, what happens is, though, because sports is so, put on such a high pedestal, right? You, yeah. We, right? That's why it's such a public thing. And a lot of these, a lot of these guys are, they're, they, you know, they're the popular guys, right? <laughs> you know, not only, yes, they're, exactly. they're the, they're the popular Yeah, they're the ones that are in the news media. And, and they should be in many ways. They're the popular kids in high school. They're the popular guys on, on college campuses. And when you, if you can make it to the professional level, well, then hello. I mean, get even higher. The money and the visibility yeah. is even that much more. And so there is a responsibility there. And so the fact yeah. is we need to work to be able to leverage that status in so many ways for, for positive things and for good, which is absolutely an opportunity. Um, then, unfortunately, what, you know, what we see all too often as well. Yeah. Well, and I, I know that there are some efforts of working with um, uh, sports teams. I know that there are teams that will have, um, in October, they'll dedicate a game or so to domestic violence. And yet, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but I know he was in Texas. You know, he was a, a keynote speaker for one of these, you know, athletes against domestic violence, and the next week he was arrested for domestic violence. Um, mm. <laughs> like, mm. okay. <laughs> right, so, right. Uh, put your money where your mouth is, I guess. Um, so I, I don't know. I, the, the point that you made about high school, the starts in high school, I also read an article the other day that do you remember the whole Steubenville thing of a year or so ago where the, sure. uh, yeah, okay, I don't have to go through that again. One of those kids that was sentenced for a year in jail is now out, and they put him back on the high school football team. I know. I read that so, as well. So what message is that sending? Um, you know, I mean, are we, are we setting – our society has – is it set up or are we setting it up that if you make enough money or if you're a, a public enough figure, you can get away with all these things? Well, we don't, we don't want to believe that that's true, um, but unfortunately, sometimes that's the way. That's really the way it, it seems, um, and that's where I go to really needing to. I mean, you know, take Steubenville for example, um, and I know that that you know young man was. Uh, I think he was charged and he had a year, and he was charged as a, as a minor, and I think that that's also part of why. Um, after a year, he was able to, you know, believing that, you know, it's quote-unquote rehabilitative. Um, we need yeah. to do better with our response. 
you know. I, I think that that's really what it comes down to as well. I mean, the tricky part with, you know, not even tricky, the unfortunate part um, uh, across the board with so many, so many aspects of the Steubenville situation, Steubenville, uh, Ohio, is that there was also this kind of odd cover-up that was going on and yeah. cover-up around what is the responsibility of the adults who are in that community whether it be the coaches or, or, or the, the, the principal or and some of the parents that were also involved. What's, what's our responsibility as, as adults, as caring and concerned adults for, 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 yeah. for young people within, the, you know, uh, trying to... Well, yeah. Go ahead. And the, the, there were a number of adults in that stupid situation that were just, you know, why is she ruining their lives and, mm-hmm. you know, and... I got to tell you, I grew up not too far from Steubenville. They like their high school football, you know. Yeah, <laughs> they right. They really like right. their high school. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I find it frightening. I, I have a grown son, and I'm so glad that he's grown at this point because, you know, I, I just don't know how to address all of these issues. They're so um, – they, they have such a strong impact on young men, I think, especially. You know, and you know, Heather, if I may say something, jump in real quick, too. It's what you did mention. Sure. You mentioned the, the military. Um, and I know we're talking about sports and the sports environment, if you will, right? Um, yes. And again, I just, you know, just to kind of reiterate what I was saying, uh, the military or sports culture in itself doesn't necessarily, it doesn't create, not even necessarily, it doesn't create, say, violence against women or, or real uh, kind of unhealthy masculinity. I mean, that is a, is is something that is has gotten um, better when we talk about changing social norms over when you look at over the past several decades particularly, but it amplifies. I mean, the military, for one, is a certain environment that has very unique stressors, where, whether it be frequent deployments or, um, frankly, people get married um, earlier, right, typically. Yeah. Um, at a younger age, which then means maybe they just don't have as many experiences from which to draw around kind of healthy relationships and what do those actually look like. I mean, there are these unique stressors that happen too, whether it be, you know, the military, and then it's interesting to draw that kind of parallel with professional sports where it's a very insulated and isolated environment, right? Um, These men are on the road a lot. Um, It can be kind of a grueling, certainly a grueling schedule, and at the same time, the spotlight can also be quite, um, you know, can be can be really bright and yeah. really um, hard to deal with and really stressful. I'm certainly not making any excuses for them, but at the same, you know, there needs to be accountability, and at the same time, there also needs to be understanding that these it's not it's not an everyday environment. Yeah, yeah, um, and it is a different environment from just everyday, you know, go to work, Joe and and Mary kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I understand that. Um, so, you know, but I also was questioning whether, um, I guess it, it's kind of like boils down to nature or nurture. You know, are these guys more aggressive and that's why they go into this? Or is this environment, you know, uh, so aggressive that it makes these athletes um, think that that's okay, that that's a, a, a fine way to behave? And, of course, there's no answer to that, but it makes me wonder. Um, makes me wonder what's going on here. So, okay, we've got this problem. Oh, and in all fairness, you know what? I should mention um, 
Hope Solo, who is a soccer player, um, you mm-hmm. know, international league soccer player, and she has been um, arrested twice for domestic violence, and she is a, a high-level soccer player. Um, so, you know, she also has issues, these, these kinds of aggressive issues, apparently. Um, so, you know, not just the guys, uh, always, although most of the time it is. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So what do, what do we do? What does your organization do to help mitigate this environment and, and mm-hmm. help young people learn appropriate behavior? Um, yeah, it's a, it, well, it's a good question, and I, and you know, and I think the thing that we all also, um, which is which is useful, is that we we are and have made progress overall as as kind of a movement, as a field. When you think of when you look at statistics over the past decade and the past twenty years in particular, incidents of domestic violence have gone down dramatically. Um, they've actually gone down by you know over 50%. Um, what's interesting is also an environment where women and men feel like they can come forward when they are being abused is also creating that environment and that permission to do that and alleviating mm-hmm. the stigma and making sure that people don't feel um, ashamed and feel like they're going to be supported and it's not their fault when, when, when people are able to come forward and actually feel like, okay, I'm actually going to be um, heard, I'm going to be supported, and something's going to be able to be done about this is, is huge. And we, as, as a culture, um, in this country in particular, have you know, made really great strides, too, in, in being able to create the environment that makes it okay to say, you know what, there's no excuse. There is no excuse for domestic violence, and to be able to come forward and say that, and to create that environment, and 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 is is huge. Um, and at the yeah. same time, you know, there's still, you know, obviously we know when we have situations like this and situations that are happening, unfortunately, um, every day and 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 uh, every hour in yeah. uh, in this country and in this world, what is it? What is it that we can do? I mean, to go specifically to the professional leagues that we've been talking about. I mean, they got to get their house in order, first of all. You know, um, you can't, uh, you know, it's like these kind of things happen, and then they come out and they say, oh, and we're going to donate a million dollars to XYZ domestic violence organization, right? You know, it's like, yeah. and, that's, and that happens too often, and it's this knee-jerk reaction, and that can be useful for sure, you know, especially if I work at a nonprofit. We all have limited budget. But what they, what, what you know, our advice is get your house in order in that what are the policies um, internally, not just even for your public players, but for, for all of the, um, you know, what about the, the team trainers? What about the coaches, right? What about the folks who, who work in the stadiums? I mean, what about all of the, the team's franchises? That, what are the policies that are in place? to protect and ensure that, um, you're, you're, you know, all of those workers are, are safe, um, to ensure that there's not any kind of even sexual harassment going on and that those, those things are also in place internally is really huge. Ensuring that, you know, that their response to these situations, like a Ray Rice situation, is adequate 
that it fits what happened. And um, the optics of it are obviously are terrible. And the NFL was wrong in thinking that people were going to say that two games was enough. And like I, you know, we talked a little bit before, what is enough? Um, that's actually not even our role. But what they do need to figure out is they need to figure out the appropriate responses to hold people accountable when it's not, you know, five games for, you know, smoking pot, mm-hmm. but two games for – I mean, that, that's the headline, and that's what people remember. And they need to figure out that piece. And the third piece yeah. I'd say, you know, besides, like, the internal getting your house in order, figuring out the response, and then the third piece is around prevention. And, um, you know, we talked a bit about Coaching Boys into Men, which is a Futures Without Violence program. But also, too, you know, it's like how are they supporting the, ed- the, the training and education of those, of, of, people who work with, of people who work with young people? Um, that Brian, is, we have critical. a caller. If I can interrupt you, we're going to go sure. to our caller. Um, are you there, caller? Yeah, hey, it's John in uh, Philly. How's it going? Oh, hi. Thanks for calling in from Philadelphia. And I would love a cheesesteak sandwich, please, if you could mail that right out here. Um, what Do you have a, an experience or a question for our guest? Yeah, my, my thoughts on the whole um, Ray Rice situation, some of the other situations you're seeing, is that athletes and entertainers are more important than they should be um, mainly mm-hmm. because of social media. If you look 20, 30 years ago, um, you know, a lot of people looked up to the athletes and entertainers, but they didn't, they didn't really change decisions. Now it's kind of convoluted with social media where these entertainers and athletes actually have more power than the people making the decisions, you know, for the best of our country. And I really don't see how there can be anything to change that tide because, you know, I've said social media is, is out of control. There's no turning back. So I really don't see, uh, and I'm a little pessimistic, you know, I really don't see solutions, answers. I just see kind of a, a downward uh, spiral, in my opinion. Ooh, okay. Well, um, I, you know, I'd hate to think that you're right, but I, you know, who knows. Um, Brian, do you have a comment for our caller? Sure. I mean, I, you know, um, I we do this every day, so I've got to remain optimistic. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, the caller, I, I mean, what you're, and I believe your name is John, I think what you were saying, right, was that I, you're bringing up a really important point, though, just, too, about social media in itself and how this might have, you know, this has been going on for a long time. But in some ways, um, what's actually a good thing about it is that social media does make a lot of this bad behavior more visible. And, you know, when you think about the role that social media played in, in a situation like Steubenville, where a young girl is getting, you know, kind of dragged, frankly, you know, from party to yeah, party. Literally dragged. Yeah. Literally being dragged. And then you have, you know, young boys particularly um, filming it and tweeting about it while it's going on. I, I don't... I don't villainize those young kids and say, oh, you know, 15-year-old boys are bad. I mean, I don't think that's really what's happening here. I think it's, it's, it's that, yes, I think social media um, amplifies the, oppor- the, the ability to 
kind of to do, to, to do some really, really bad things. And the kind of inertia, the energy that was there probably. I mean, I, you know, I just know if we could put ourselves in that living room when that was happening that night, I really want to, I have to believe that there were some young boys there who, you know, feeling a little uncomfortable, probably laughing to kind of, you know, kind of divert any attention from them thinking that this is okay. I don't think that people, I don't really think that inherently we think that this is okay. But when then you see something like that on the Internet, it just, uh, it amplifies something that is a major, major issue, a major problem that we really need to address. Well, here, here's my well, one know, issue uh, specifically with, with, with Ray Rice. Um now, he says after a certain amount of time, he's going to be an advocate against domestic violence. Um, how can you and take I will that never see it again. Yes. How can you take that seriously? But the problem is, guys, is a lot of people do believe him when he says that. So yeah. because he's an athlete, people tend to believe these athletes and entertainers, even when what they're saying out of their mouth, you know, we really know it, it's the farthest thing from the truth. Do you really want, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're domestic violence, want Ray Rice, you know, being mm-hmm. one of your proponents, you know, <laughs> your cause? But yeah. the, the problem is, yeah. is people believe it. You put it on social mm-hmm. media, and 75% are good, people are going to believe that Ray Rice is a changed man. Yeah, yeah. And I, I see that in just about all aspects of things, uh, you know, where, where it involves um, interpersonal violence. I think people are really ready to shout hallelujah he's cured and i think they're always ready they're always ready to uh, minimize you know well it's he said she said even if she's you know bruised and bloody you know well it's he said she said so i think there is that that tendency john to minimize these situations the idea of ray rice being a spokesperson for domestic violence issues horrifies me um but I don't, you know, when you were talking, Brian, about that Steubenville video clip, I remember watching that. And, again, I, I, I'm the mother of a son, and, and I tried very carefully during his growing years to make him sensitive to these kinds of things. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, more than anything, I wanted my children to be what I call good people. Um, Dr. Lawyer Candlestick Maker wasn't as important to me as them being really just good people and members of society. And when I was listening to that Steubenville, uh, a section of that, they're they're mocking the the cameras on these two boys, one holding her arms, one holding her legs, and they're they're disparaging the girl and making all sorts of horrible comments about her. And in the background is this little voice saying, "Come on, guys, what if she were your sister?" And I don't, because it was quiet and it was in the background, and I don't, I haven't seen anybody ever talking about that, but I thought, now there's a kid who gets it. There's a kid who has a conscience here um, and who understands that this girl is somebody's daughter, somebody's sister, somebody, you know. um, Is that a way to approach some of this stuff, Brian, where we we try to sensitize Men that you know, okay, this this girl wrapped around the stripper pole, actually is a human being, and and you know had a father and a mother and you know people that love her and maybe is a mother. Uh, you know, does does that approach work? And if so, is anybody trying that approach? Yeah, 
No, you're bra- I mean, yes, actually. Um, it's about um, it's about empathy, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about kind of personal responsibility. Um, I talked a little bit before about permission. You know, in thinking about one of the most important kind of strategies, um, particularly, again, going back to, say, working with young people or, you know, young people in, in situations like this or going back to the Steubenville situation, it's like, um, and we talk about it as, as positive bystanders, right? Do you say something, right? Do you speak up when you see or hear something that's just not okay? And there are a number of programs that, you know, Mentors in Violence Prevention, uh, MVP for short, um, at, at its core is around kind of how do we uh, kind of teach, train, inspire, support the positive bystander in us all, right, to, to, to speak up and to, to say something when we see something that's not okay. Um, like, I, I mean, I mentioned coaching boys and demand. Obviously, that's what I'm most familiar with um, from Futures. The violence does that. Um, the Positive Coaching Alliance, again, kind of in the world of, of athletics, that's another um, program that really talks about kind of not just the X's and O's and understanding that, yes, we all want to win, but not winning at all costs. And what does that actually mean? And what does that do for all of us? And so, um, you know, in thinking about being a positive bystander, we talk about there being, you know, three things that need to happen. And the first thing is, you need to identify that there is a problem, right? So walking yeah. down the street and you yeah. see something that's happening, you have to actually say, oh, that's actually not okay. That's a really serious issue, a serious thing that I'm seeing, right? And the second thing is, and this goes back to, we've talked a lot about this in, in, in around the social permission, if you will, and you need to feel like it's okay for you to get involved. Maybe it's, maybe it's dangerous for you to directly intervene, but do I call the police? Do I do something else, right? Do I talk to somebody else who's involved in the situation indirectly that I know? I feel like there's some permission that there's something I can do. But the third thing is I need to figure out, I need to know what there is to do, right? Yeah. And that's the strategy, the approach that we talk a lot about around identifying that something's not okay, knowing that there's permission to, to get involved, in whatever way is safe and whatever way that means, and knowing what to do when, if you decide then to get involved. Yeah, very good points, very good points. And Boys into Men program addresses all those points, I would imagine. Correct, yeah, it does. I mean, it's a yeah. 12-week, we call it mini curriculum, where we work with athletic coaches, and they have a different topic each week to talk with their athletes about. And they facilitate a conversation, usually a 15- to 20-minute conversation, once a week, and I, I mentioned it was 12 weeks, particularly because that aligns with the typical athletic season, whether it be fall, winter, or spring, right, school year athletic season. And so, for example, you know, it goes from issues of one week is personal responsibility. We talk about insulting language. We talk about digital disrespect, right, online issues, yeah. for example. We go to bragging about sexual refutation is 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 a topic for one week, and so it changes yeah. each of the 12 weeks. Yeah. Well, I think just talking about it, just having it out there, talking about it um, as, you know, this is, you know, this kind of behavior is not acceptable, and we're assuming that it's not acceptable, and this is what you can do about it, and we can get you thinking about that. Um, I think that that in itself would go a long way 
um, toward helping young men understand. Uh, going back to that Steubenville thing, when I heard that young man in the background uh, saying that, I thought that took that young man so much courage because we all know mm-hmm. that when you're in a group with your peers, you know, and that kid actually said it. Now, nobody paid any attention to him, um, which is a whole different issue, but he said it in his peer group during this, you know, drunken whatever. And that, I, I wish, I almost wish that the, some of the focus had been on that kid. No, he didn't call the police. No, he didn't stop it. But he pointed something out. You know, he was sensitive to the fact that there's something wrong here, guys. And I found that encouraging. That's very encouraging. I didn't actually know that. I didn't know that happened. I I, I wanted to believe that, that something like that happened. And, and and in some ways, I assumed that there were definitely you know some young people in that uh, at that party that weren't kind of subscribing to what was happening. Um, obviously, there was a tidal wave. Of, there was a tidal wave of other you know stuff that was going on that um, can be really hard. You know, you're bringing up a really good point around the bystander piece, right? It's like it's hard to, even as adults, for all of us, it's hard to step out there and zig yeah. when everybody else is zagging. You know, and now yeah. we can't just expect 13 year olds to do that unless we ever we're able to show them the way. We're able to give them kind of the permission we're able to say that, no, it's okay for you to step out. And when you do, I'm going to be here to, to, to support you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, th- I guess this kind of brings me back full circle to, you know, these the sports teams. Whether they like it or not, these athletes are, in fact, role models for a lot of people, not just children. Whether they like it or not, they have to fulfill, to a certain extent, that role. And I think that that's pretty much understood. If you don't have NFL fans who are saying, wait a minute, guys, this is not okay, then basically what you're saying is, if you don't say anything, it is okay. Um, and and by uh, that, you know, almost tacit approval, then we're teaching younger people that, yeah, this is okay. You can get away with this. Nothing really wrong with this. Um, mm-hmm. If Ray... If Ray Rice had been fired, boom, fired, right there, what message would that have sent? That would have sent a message that we are not, we as a a sports club are not going to tolerate this behavior, um, whether it's on or off the field. This is not acceptable behavior. Would they have tolerated it if he'd held up a 7-Eleven at gunpoint? Right. You know, I, I think that, you know, the fans have to acknowledge that this is not acceptable behavior um, before anybody else is going to really uh, make any headway. Are you? Do you agree with me on that? I do. I do. And I think what you're getting at is we all have a responsibility to speak up and say something. We really do. Yeah. Yeah. And I have heard athletes, professional athletes, say, don't make me a role model. That's not not what I signed up for. But the fact is they are role models. And Mm -hmm. I think rather than denying that they're role models, they should step up and acknowledge that fact and behave as role models. Um, That's my humble opinion. Um, Brian, why don't you give us um, uh, your website, if if there's an athletic coach out there in high school who would like to help 
is athletes um, be better people than some of these professional athletes that we're seeing? How how could they get in touch with you? Sure. No, thank you. Um, So, again, my name is Brian O'Connor, and I'm with Futures Without Violence. And in particular, the program that we have that works with athletic coaches is is really um, kind of relevant to this conversation is a program we have called Coaching Boys Into Men. The website of Coaching Boys Into Men is coachescorner.org. Um, and like uh, like I mentioned, I'm with Futures Without Violence. You can also go, you know, just Google Futures Without Violence, and uh, Coaching Boys Into Men will also will also come up. Okay, and people can contact your organization, find out more about your programs, and um, hopefully we'll get a, a little grassroots thing going here where we're really focusing on turning uh, a generation of young men into. Um, Wonderful people. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a sweeping statement, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we're going to turn these boys into wonderful people. That's what we're going to do. Well, Brian, I see that our time is almost out. And, um, oh, dear, you know what I did? I usually end our program with a quote, and I just, on my iPad, I actually deleted my quote. Um, but it was basically the same thing as we've been saying throughout this program, that um, an, an acknowledgement has to be made that bad behavior isn't tolerated. It uh, doesn't necessarily mean you throw somebody to the wolves, doesn't mean that you put them in front of the firing squad, but you have to do something to show people, first of all, what behavior will not be tolerated, and secondly of all, what kind of behavior is acceptable behavior. And does your program, Brian, deal with that? I mean, it's all well and good to tell somebody, don't do this, but then what do they do? Oh, you're bringing up a really great point, because we always, we always say that, you know, good, positive, healthy relationships are not just the absence of bad stuff, right? And so yes. we all have an opportunity to live happier and healthier lives. And Coaching Boys and Men, too, is I really just want to underscore how, because particularly we're working with young people, we, we frame it and fashion it or believe it to be a, a leadership program. It's not that we're picking on the athletes or even picking on the boys in particular. It's that these are the popular kids, right? These are the popular kids on campus, and other kids are actually looking up to them already. So when we talk about, you know, professional athletes saying, oh, they don't think they're a role model, well, I'm like, look, I mean, we are already working with 15, 16, 17-year-olds in their own environment that are actually role models and influencers for their peers. And so that's really what is at the core of Coaching Boys and Men is how we then as the adults in these young people's lives are able to support them to say, hey, when you see or hear something that's not okay, you can come and talk to me as the coach. Yeah, yeah. I, I think can't really expect, you know, like this boy in the Steubenville video, you know, I mean, it would have been wonderful if he'd picked up his cell phone and called the police on what was happening. Um, But my expectations of a young, uh, of a teenage boy in a situation like that, I think it just took so much courage for him to just say that out loud Mm -hmm. to that peer group. You know, we we have to do what we can do and what we feel safe doing um, to change the ground. Um, at least that's my opinion. Um, so uh, that is our show, I think, unless you've got some final words for us, Brian. 
I really just want to thank you for having me on in particular. Thanks for thinking of Futures Without Violence and Coaching Boys into Men and overall giving visibility to this really important issue. I think that we've made really great strides um, and there's a lot more work to do, but I think with being able to raise, kind of raise the, raise the volume on situations like Ray Rice and others, um, I think that we're going to have a better response and reaction to it too overall. Yeah, yeah. I I think that I don't know whether it's surprising, uh, but it's certainly notice, notice, notable that there has been so much uproar over the uh, Ray Rice situation. So I'm I'm hopeful that uh, athletic teams will start taking off field behavior a lot more seriously, especially in the areas of domestic violence. Thank you so much for joining us. Sorry about the technical glitch at the beginning of the show. I hope you stood with us and join us next week on Three Women Three Ways. <laughs>